Proverbs chapter uh, 15, Proverbs 15, and we'll start in verse 27. Proverbs 15, 27. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to meet together as you commanded us to do. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to provoke one another this morning to love and to good works. And I pray, Lord, that we would love you more as we leave here this morning. I pray that we'd love the brethren. And, Lord, that we'd love those uh, for whom you died. And, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to fulfill that great commission in our lives, that we'd be ambassadors for yours, uh, for your sake, for your cause, for your purpose. And I thank you, God, for all these things. Help us to understand your word this morning. Help us to be men. Help these that are ladies to be ladies. And help us, God, to do all these things that we ought to do for your sake. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. All right, verse number 27. Let's read down through verse 33. He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house, but he that hateth gifts shall live. The heart of the righteous studieth to answer, but the mouth of the wicked poureth out evil things. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he heareth the prayer of the righteous. The light of the eyes rejoiceth the heart, and a good report maketh the bones fat. The ear that heareth the reproof of life abideth among the wise. He that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul. But he that heareth reproof getteth understanding. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. All right, verse 27. He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house, but he that hateth gifts shall live. And most folks, when they begin to inspect their lives and when they begin to survey all the hardships and griefs and troubles and trials that are going on in their own lives, they usually look outward for the blame. They'll look at other uh, uh, extended family members or people that they work with and many other things. They'll try to blame for their own problems, but a lot of folks don't realize that their own selves, it's in their own little circle is where the problem lies. And that's what this verse right here implies. He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house, but he that hateth gifts shall live. And it looks like a pretty straightforward statement, but there is a really a, a deep meaning there. He that is g- greedy of gain troubleth his own house. Now, basically what this verse is talking about is the expectation of more, the expectation of more, without the utilization of that which you already have. And so well, that's, that's exactly what he's saying. He that is gre- greedy of gain. A lot of people are going around, I've got to have more. I've got to have this. I've got to have that. And your, your concentration, your imagination, your affections are set on, what am I going to buy tomorrow? What am I going to buy next week? What do I need? What do I have to purchase? And you're greedy of gain. When you, when you hear the word greedy, you think about some, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge rubbing his hands and counting his coins, and that's not necessarily, it is, that could be a true definition, but that's not really what the definition has to be all the way across the border. A greedy man is a needy man. He's a man that that's, his concentration is always on the things that he either needs or wants, and that's the only thing that his mind is set on. But this is a man that's greedy of gain. And the Bible said he troubles his own house. Well, how could he trouble his own house? Well, his concentration is more on the things that he wants to have or perhaps needs to have rather than utilizing what he does have. If you're not, if you're not working on, if you're not upkeeping, if you're not tending, and if you're not utilizing the things that you have, well, then you're household is being neglected. If you're not maximizing, I guess would be a good word, the uh, profitability or the usefulness of the things that you have, then you are definitely taken away from the welfare of your own household. That's exactly what this verse is saying. The the, uh, thoughts of the wicked are an abomination, he says in verse 26, 
uh, of the Lord to the Lord. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. Well, that's the, that goes along the same lines. And I promised you we would talk a little bit more about this verse, but I find that the best way to do it is to go on with verse 27, like I said. But these things are, are connected. A, a wicked man is always in his heart desiring something that he doesn't have. He's not content with the things that he has. Paul said, uh, whatsoever state I am, he said, I'll be content with that. And so this is, these things are very much connected. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the words of the pure are pleasant words. You know, the words of the pure would be, thank God that I have this, or thank God that God did this for me. Thank God for my situation. It could be a million different things, but he's saying, thank God, or he's saying, praise God, or he's uh, talking of things that are right or pure, whatsoever the case might be. But a wicked man, he is always dissatisfied. He's, he's not content. He'd rather be somewhere else doing something else. And he's smarter than everybody else that has an opinion. If you go down to verse 32, he says, He that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul, but he that heareth reproof getteth understanding. Verse 31, Likewise, the ear that heareth reproof, the reproof of life. It's not just reproofs. It's something that's going to produce life in you. He that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul. The ear that heareth the reproof of life abideth among the wise. So what you've got here in, in all of these passages and all these verses is either contentment or discontentment. It is thankfulness or unthankfulness. And all these things tie together to produce what we would call in the New Testament. And the emphasis, one of the, one of the emphasis of the New Testament is joy, something that many Christians don't have. And it's, it's simply a matter of, am I satisfied with what I have now? Or does the, the desire of other things take away my contentment? Now, there is nothing wrong with setting goals. There's not, if you make $20,000 a year, there's nothing wrong with you having an expectation to make 30000 next year or 40000 10 years from now. There's nothing wrong with setting goals. There's nothing wrong with uh, the desire for improvement that would make you better in the future. There's nothing wrong with that. The thing that becomes uh, wrong, the thing that becomes unseemly in that sort of thing is that the, the recognition of things that you don't have takes away your contentment and takes away your joy. There's nothing wrong with improvement. There's nothing wrong with those things. But the, th the difference is is that a wise man will be content with what he has. He'll make the most of what he has. And I'm going to say this with no expectation of, of contradiction whatsoever. It's absolute truth that if you would maximize the things that you do have right now, if you'd get the full potential out of the possessions, the possibilities, uh, the things that you have right now, if you would maximize those, it would help you get to those goals. But if you don't use the things that you have now, there should be no reasonable expectation that your lot would improve. It'd be like a guy that sits around daydreams during his math class expecting to become a better math mathematician. It's not going to happen. You're not maximizing what you have right now. That is the opportunity to learn from a teacher. If you're not going to learn while you're in possession of a teacher, how should you learn when you're, there is no teacher, when your opportunity for being taught is past? That's why the best opportunity to keep a child from becoming a fool is while you have possession of that child. In other words, the child is either going to be content with his instructor, with his instruction, with his parentage. He's going to be content with that and maximize his opportunity to learn from a mother and a father, or he's going to get into his adult years, his supposedly mature years, without the benefit of an instructor, and he's going to be a fool. If he doesn't become wise while he's a child, the, the chances of him becoming wise in his, in his adult years are few and far between. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. That's not, that is not a positive 
statement. It's a neutral statement. It can be positive and it can be negative. If you teach a child to be lazy, he'll be lazy. He said, well, I told my kids to do right. It didn't say tell your child. It says train your child. <laughs> very different thing. Very, very, very different thing. What you, what you see and what you experience as a child is going to be uh, your training. But at any rate, uh, that's a different lesson for a different time, I suppose. But this is exactly the context of what's being taught to us right here in this chapter and in this context here. He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house. He troubles his own house by his concentration, not being where it ought to be as a workman. And we are all workmen in our own houses. We work very hard down at the factory. We we work very hard for somebody else's profitability. And then we go to our own factory. Amen. Our kitchens, our workshops, that out behind our own houses, our living rooms. That's our factory. And we, we don't put the same effort into our own homes as we do into the livelihood of our employers. Amen? If you did, be much different. Be much different. So he says, He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house, but he that hateth gifts shall live. You're not looking for something for some, from somebody else. The expectation of somebody else making your way is going to take your, uh, your desire or your need to produce for yourself away. He's looking for a gift. That's why the welfare system is turned into a failure. And I will say this, in its inception, the welfare system was not a bad idea. But the distribution of it to, to healthy, able-minded people has destroyed them. The borrower is servant to the lender. And I'm not talking about in a sense of pride. I'm not talking about in a sense of selfishness. But you ought to be your own servant first. You ought to be serving your own causes and your own purposes. And that's not to say, I'm not talking in any broad sense. I'm talking about in a narrow sense. We know we're supposed to serve others. We know we're supposed to love others. We know we're supposed to love and and have concern and care for others and meet the needs of others and bear the burdens of others. I'm not taking away anything from that. I'm I'm not talking in a negative sense about that. But what I am saying is that if we don't, take care of the things that must be taken care of today in our own homes, then that opportunity is missed. The labor is not applied. The profit's not realized. If you, if you just the, the improvement of your own home, the improvement of your cars, your vehicles, and, and such as that, it has to be taken care of on a daily basis. And if you're just looking for a handout, somebody else is going to provide that. Well, then your own in, begins... I think I could paint you a broad picture and take maybe 15 minutes off of this discussion, but the success or failure of a person, the establishment of a building or the dilapidation of a building, it all starts right here in your mind. And in your mind, you've got a clear picture of what you ought to be doing, what you should do. Uh, it maybe may, may not be the best way of going about it, but it is going about it. Uh, we'd all like to have better ways of doing things, but we don't all understand better ways of doing things. Uh, some of us may sweep the floor, some of us may mop the floor, some of us may you know pull the floor up and and put down a new floor. But the upkeep of the thing is what I'm talking about, and when the upkeep ceases right here. When you're not thinking about what needs to be done and planning about what needs to be done right here and right now with the materials I have on hand, when that ceases, then, of course, the work doesn't get done. And when the work doesn't get done, it begins to dilapidate and fall apart. And you can apply that not just to your kitchen floor, but you can apply it to your finances, your business, and the things that are not needful to be done doesn't get done. But it starts up here. And it it degrades right here, and then it degrades under your feet and in your bank account. And so, but what you're thinking about is somebody else is going to do it. 
somebody else should do it. Or, but see, sometimes somebody else should do it. But that means nothing. That means absolutely nothing. Well, if, if so-and-so doesn't do their job, our business is going to fall apart, then you do it. I preached you a message maybe a couple of years ago called Initiative. You must have it. You say, well, I don't have it. Well, you're going to fail then. You're going to be a failure. Because that initiative is the very opposite of laziness. It's the very opposite, it's the very opposite of things falling apart. It, what's tied up in that word initiative is the fact that things are going to get done. It, you're not going to sit around wishing that something will happen or somebody, that somebody else will do it or that somebody else will take care of it. You're, active, you're greedy of a gift, see? And that, that's the kind of thing that will cause things not to be done not to be taken care of. And so that's just, it's not, it's very, uh, it's, it's ver- well, we, we call it laziness, but it's not business-like. It's not professional-like. And whatever you are, you ought to be professional at it. You ought to be the very best. Professor, professional, the word professional simply means that you make a living doing it. And I would hate to think at the end of our time that, our parenthood was not professional. And our industry, just the day-to-day stuff. We come to church, and you'll remember that I told you this is what the book of Proverbs is about. This is what this Sunday school lesson is about. It's about becoming people. We come to church, and we try to learn to be Christians, but we haven't learned to be people. And so what I'm talking about here, and, and it's, ver- it's summed up very well, I think, in this passage of Scripture if you're looking for the gift of somebody else doing your job, or if you're looking for the gift of things that will come in the future rather than maximizing what you already have in your hands to do the job, well, then you're going you're gonna to end up being a failure. Things are going to fall apart for you. And the more you utilize what you have right now, the, the more you benefit from it. If you've got things laying around the house you don't use, sell them. Simple as that. You're looking for extra money, and you've got seven or eight hundred dollars worth of things laying around the house that you bought, wishing for, wish I had that. So you bought that and probably wasted money on it. Don't use it. At one time, I had a bunch of guns. I mean, a bunch of guns. And I said, "Man, I, I look around. I never shoot that. I shoot this one all the time. Why not keep this one and get rid of these?" There was a bunch of money tied up in that when I didn't need it. Want it? That's a different thing. If you got the money to, to, to do, you know, to have whatever you want, perhaps that's a different story. But I'm not looking at a room full of people who have all the money that you want or, or even need. But I am looking at a room full of people that have more than you need. And I'm not against that. I'm not against you having more than you need. But what I'm talking about is that question in your own mind saying, where am I going to get this? You've got all this stuff you don't need, but the question in your mind is still, where am I going to get this? Where am I going to get that? And the answer is in the things that you already have. Use that. And in the process of using that stuff that you already have, you're going to be producing your own future. That's what this verse is talking about. The he that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house, but he that hateth gifts shall live. All right, let's move on. I believe you got the understanding there. The heart of the righteous studieth to answer, but the mouth of the wicked poureth out evil things. And that's a very true thing. If anybody's ever uh, been saved, if they've ever, if they've ever realized uh, the the largeness of Christianity, if they've ever saw that the importance of uh, unity of the Spirit, which I believe the unity of the, Spirit is, of the Spirit is bound up in truth, how can two walk together lest they be agreed? Those two verses fit together as well as any other rightly divided uh, passages in the Bible. How can two walk together unless they be agreed? 
And the Bible says that we're to, we're to be together in the unity of the Spirit. Well, then the unity of the Spirit has to be truth. It has to be doctrinal things. And once a person realizes that, once he looks out and he sees this group of people is teaching this, wonderful. This group of people is teaching this, that's terrible. That's, that's unseemly for Christianity, not biblical. Once a person falls into those categories and begins to read and study, he has a new purpose in life. Once he realizes that the great commission and the, the great sacrifice uh, of the Lord, the great truths of the Bible, the great authority, the great assurance, the great joy that's contained in being a part of the church of Jesus Christ, once he realizes those things, his study begin, becomes different. You say, what's he doing? Well, he's studying to argue mostly. The Bible says, only by pride cometh contention. And that is a big statement. <laughs> Every argument you've ever got into was, uh, was based on in pride. Only. O-N-L-Y. That word is, uh, it's, it's a segregational word. <laughs> There's no, there can be no other uh, way to think of it. Only. Right? Well, he says, only by pride cometh contention. In the New Testament, he tells us to earnestly contend. It's the same word, contention. Only by pride cometh contention. Until you look around yourself, your situation, your environment, and you begin to see truth versus error, good versus bad, Christian versus anti-Christian, Christ versus antichrist, you begin to get in the Bible and you begin to study for answers. And that's what he's talking about. He says, the heart of the righteous studieth to answer. Want to know the reason, want to know the causes, want to know the outcomes. And after I've spent five hours studying, 10 hours studying, 50 hours studying, 100 hours studying, disagree with me. Ask me a question. And a Christian is looking for those things. Ask me. Let's talk about this. And the, 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 only, the only bad part is, the only bad part about it is Christians are very easy to tap into that pride through their flesh rather than the humility of Christianity. If you can tap into that pride through the humility of Christianity and you begin to think about verses like Romans 1.11, For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end ye may be established, rather than, I'm going to prove you wrong. If you don't like it, then you're going to fall out and never talk again. That's the pride of the flesh. But that, that sense of humility and, and Christian service will take that study that you've been doing, and you'll be ministering rather than arguing no doubt about it. Uh, a, a contrary spiritual discussion is an argument. There's no, it's contention. But he said you're to earnestly contend for the faith and the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. So the, 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 the fleshly standpoint usually turns out into a jerk, makes a man a jerk rather than a minister. And you can, you can just, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know what a man's dealing with. You know, if somebody's being a jerk, you know that they're a jerk. Amen? You just know it. You, you know when somebody has your best interest at heart. Just like when your mother fussed at you and you still knew she loved you. Amen. If somebody gives you instruction and, and you don't see the love in it, you're the jerk. It's you that are the fool. Well, they're always against me. That's, I'm talking about a very immature young man or a young woman. That is exactly their response. An unwise young man or young woman, that is exactly their response when they are instructed. They're always talking bad about me. They're always, they never want me to have any fun. See, that's the response of a, of a foolish person. It's not the reason. Look at the last phrase in verse 33. Before honor is humility. A person that's wise is seeking that honor. He's seeking that improvement. And when he sees that instructions coming his way and it's not favor favorable to his condition or his attitude or his performance, he says, man, I, I've let him down. I need to do better. 
I see that in my own life. I, I know people in my own life that when I give them, and I'm talking about my own family members, but what I'm saying is when, when I give them instruction, they humble themselves. I'm sorry about that, and I'm going to try to make that right and get better. I'm going to try to do better. Than that. And then I see other folks that when you give them instruction, they throw stuff, and, and they get upset, and they, they suck, and they won't talk to you for five hours or five months or whatever the case might be. That's a fool. And that pride has elevated themselves in their own mind. Who do they think they are? To, and you're talking about what I'm, I'm also describing is a great portion of the church of Jesus Christ today. You get up in the pulpit and you give the instruction as it ought to be given. The New Testament directs us in how to do those things. Sometimes it's correction. Sometimes it's instruction in righteousness. Sometimes it's a rebuke. It's not the same all the time, but there's different Aspects of the ministry is to be done right here from the pulpit. You're not to go to each individual person and ball them out or congratulate them, either one. You're to be a minister. You're to be a minister of the Word of God. It takes different things. But when you say, well, I'm never coming back, he spoke harshly. Well, verse number 33 is for you. Verse number 32 is for you. Verse number 31 is for you. Let's read it again. Verse 31, the ear that heareth the reproof, reproof. I wish you wouldn't do that. That's not reproof. <laughs> reproof is what mama, reproof is the way your mama approached you when you stole. Reproof is the way your, your dad approached you when you told a lie. That's a rebuke. That's a reproof. Reproofs of life. Where's the verse about the encouragements of life? <laughs> where are they? Where, where are the verses about the handholdings of life? Well, they're not there. Not in the same sense that it is here. I'm sure you could come up with something, but it's not the same as it is here. This is talking about the correction. The, the book of Proverbs from, from stem to stern is about correcting yourself, becoming the man, woman, boy, or girl that you ought to be physically. Of course, the fear of the Lord is involved in that. He that heareth the reproof of life abideth among the wise. If you hear it, you say, well, I heard what they said, but I ain't doing it. That's not hearing. That's what Jesus meant when he said, he that hath ears to hear. Almost every human being has ears that work. There's plenty of folks that are physically deaf, but that's, he's not talking about the physical aspects. A man that can hear and receive instruction and apply it to his life, that's a complete set. You take one of those things away and it's not a complete set. You have to hear. You have to understand it. You have to apply it to your life. Without one of those equations, it doesn't add up to three. Without one of those sums, it doesn't add up to three. Without one of those factors, it doesn't add up to three. You can apply all kinds of stuff to your life, but if it's not based on understanding, it's not going to do you no good. If you don't hear, how shall they hear without a preacher, the Bible says. So you have to hear, you have to understand, you have to apply it to your life. A lot of people know the name Jesus, but they haven't heard the gospel. Oh, I love Jesus. I couldn't tell you how many people I've heard talk about Jesus, or maybe they've got a bumper sticker that says Jesus is love or God is love, but they haven't heard the preaching of the gospel. They haven't understood it, and they haven't applied it to their life. Therefore, they're not saved. Just because they know that a man historically lived whose name was Jesus and was a good teacher, that doesn't produce salvation. But understanding that he died for your sins. If you'll pay close attention, if you'll pay very close attention, you'll find that most gospel ministries, most churches are preaching about a church, or, or, or excuse me, are preaching about a Jesus who died for you. Yes. Oh, Jesus died for you. Won't you trust him today? Well, what am I trusting him for? Financial advice? That's exactly what they're trusting him for. Because all the follow-up sermons are about how to get rich. How to feel better. The aspect of Christianity isn't necessarily about feeling better. 
You say, what? That's based on feeling better. Is based on performance. It's not based on being born again. You can be saved and feel bad. Because feeling better is performance based. It's also based on your body. Amen. We live in a cursed world. Which means we have cursed bodies. You can be very born again and not feel good. But we're talking about a Jesus who died for you. No, that's not the point of Christianity. The point of Christianity is that Jesus Christ died for your sins. Was buried and rose again the third day according to the scripture. That's what gets people saved. Amen. He loved, for God so loved the world that he gave his own. That's the position of that love. It's, that, it's aimed toward the reclamation of a sinner from his sins and from the, ultimately from the penalty of those sins. So we're talking about the hearing, the understanding, and the application. You can hear great preaching. Somebody was questioning one of the kids out at the, out at the cookout yesterday about what they liked about church. They said the singing That's the way of all flesh, I suppose. And so what about, they said to the child, what about the preaching? The preaching makes me want to go to sleep, the little boy said. That's the mentality that most people have, the mentality of a little kid. Rather go to sleep. You're going to wake up and find your, your, your period of instruction is over. One of these days you're going to wake up and find your period of instruction is over and that all you're left is the living. You say, well, can I go back and get instruction then? I don't know if you can or not. I don't know the, the, the depth of the grace of God. I, I'm assuming it's very large. Uh, don't you? But I do know that, some, that the Bible makes it plain that a Christian can make his faith shipwrecked. And just like a child can pass his, his period of instruction, a Christian can also move beyond that instruction into the control of his own life and, and that makes him a Christian fool as much as it makes a wayward child a foolish man. Very difficult. The ear that heareth the reproof of life abideth among the wise. He that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul. It seems, if you look at him, it looks like he loves his own soul. It looks like he cares for himself. He's looking out for his future. That's what verse 27 is talking about. I want this. I need this. This would make me happy. This would fulfill all my dreams. He would fulfill all my dreams. She would fulfill all my... See, they're looking for something out here that's... See, it's all stuff that's... It's all stuff that's meant to satisfy the fact that they're not satisfied with what they have. Let me ask you this. If you're not satisfied with the things that you have, what makes you think that adding one more piece of junk to it is going to give you any satisfaction? Amen? Amen? Well, let me ask you that same question in a little different manner. If you're not happy uh, within yourself, Paul said in the course of the ministry, he said, I think myself happy. What's he talking about? He's not talking about him sitting around thinking and as a result making himself. He said, I think myself happy to be doing a specific aspect of the ministry. Well, if you're not content, if you're not excited about who you are, if you're not content, and that, that is I'm talking about your own joy, if you don't have joy within yourself, which we understand comes from Jesus Christ, it comes from the Word of God, comes from contentment, if you don't have those things within yourself, why would you want to add another idiot to the mix? You're a boy, you're a girl, you're a man, you're a woman. You're not happy with yourself. You're not happy with the way things are going. And ultimately, that's all. That happiness and joy and contentment all should be Christ-centered and God-centered. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. wisdom. I, I, I think it, you could also expand on that and say that your blessedness, your happiness, is also going to come from those same things. If you're not happy with that, uh, if you're not, if you're not, Sufficient. If you don't have sufficiency for your own happiness, if you're always depressed, if you're always grief-stricken, if you're always dissatisfied, all by yourself, what makes you think there's going to be any happiness when you add the life of another into the mix? And that's what most people think. If I only had the right wife, 
a wife is a good thing. A wife is a blessing. But I, I, I recommend you don't take uh, two batches of poison and mix them in together. In most cases, I'm sure in the, in the biological world, you could probably take two poisons and mix them together. They might cancel one another out. You see people that take more than one kind of medicine and one interferes with the other. I'm sure that might happen, but you're not going to take two toxic people and put them together and make a milkshake out of them. It's just not going to happen. Well, she's the perfect gal. She's toxic. Amen. Oh, he's wonderful. He's toxic. And what if what if they are wonderful and sweet? Your ill attitude will have them wrecked mentally in a couple of weeks anyway. Amen. If you do find yourself a good little gal, you'll ruin them in a month or two with your own bad attitudes and vice versa. All these men are always messing up these. No, no, no. You ladies are just as much to blame messing up men as men are messing up gals. I've come to a solid and logical conclusion. You know, this we're, the, the world is in this, the whole world right now is in this trip about equal rights for women and women are so oppressed. You're watching too much television. Well, this woman's being mistreated. No more than any man's being mistreated. Amen? You say, well, you, Brother Mike, you're ignoring the, the proof. No, I'm ignoring television is what I'm ignoring. You, your estimation and the news media's estimation that women are being so mistreated is because, the new, is because every television show has a rape. Every television show has some man beating a woman's brains out. Every television show has a woman in distress. That's the main theme that's come out of public entertainment since the 1920s is a man's offenses against a woman. And you've seen it every day for 70 years now, 80 years now, 90 years, the American society has seen a man's violence against a woman on television and that's been the basis for this equality kick. You say, well, don't you think there's been offenses against women? Don't you think there's been offenses against men? You want equality, right? You say, well, I'm being mistreated at home. Tell somebody. You say, what will happen? They'll get madder. No, it'll get taken care of. Uh, around here, especially around here, you've got men that want to be men. They want to guide their own home because God set us... God, listen, God didn't just tell us to guide our homes. It's in us. It's part of our makeup. And what I'm, I'm, I'm saying that for this purpose is that any red-blooded real man that's sitting here or within 10 miles of this building, if they saw that a woman was being mistreated, he'd do something about it. Would he not? It, it, it's not just in a man's nature to decide what he's having for dinner. It's in his nature to protect a woman. Not, and people call that chauvinism. We can take care of ourselves. Do you remember the Kavanaugh hearings? All these liberals for years and years and years have been, have been spouting to the top of their lungs, we can take care of ourselves, we can take care of ourselves, we can take care of ourselves. And during the Kavanaugh hearings, they paraded out woman after woman after woman liberal who came to the mic and said, you folks ought to be concerned with taking care of women and making sure that they don't. Well, I thought you could take care of yourself. What you need to do is shut your mouth, turn off the television, and live a godly and a Christian life and not worry about what everybody else is doing and let God take care of his own children. Let God dispense his own justice in his own way, in his own manner. If somebody's being, if, if a weaker woman is being 
abused in her own home, tell somebody and it'll be taken care of. It would be taken care of. Listen, if a woman was being abused and she made it known, it would be dealt with just as surely as if a man walked into a bank and robbed it or if he broke into somebody's home. Listen, if it's against the law, they'll press charge against it. He said, well, I told the deputy and he didn't do it. Go to the sheriff. I told the sheriff and he didn't do it. Go higher than that. Amen. Tell your brother. I told the police. I told the police. Tell your daddy. Amen. I guarantee it'll stop. Amen. It's an injustice. There's injustices all over the place. There's injustices against women. There's injustices against men. We live in a world of injustice. Amen. You just think it is a certain way because that's the that's been the 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 the, the emphasis of the entertainment world. Amen. Amen. That's exactly right. I got off track there a little bit, but was a good thought. The ear that heareth the reproof of life abideth among the wise. He that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul. But he that heareth reproof getteth understanding. He that heareth the reproof getteth understanding. Then you can see, I gave you the three things that you needed. The hearing, the understanding, the application. He that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul. He that heareth reproof Getteth understanding. You hear the reproof, you get the understanding, then you apply it to your life. The Bible says in the New Testament, we're to be hearers, we're to be not only hearers of the word, but doers also. We're to do the word, not just hear, we're to apply it to our lives. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. You have to bow your head and say, that's right, this is right. Amen? Let me go back up to verse 28 again, the heart of the righteous studieth to answer, but the mouth of the wicked poureth out evil things. Somebody oh, this is a man of folly. This is a man of just fun and good times. Nothing wrong with folly, or I shouldn't say that there's nothing wrong with folly, but I'm saying a merry heart, a fun-loving person, there's nothing wrong with that except for if his life is continually and wholly committed to it. A jokester, a comedian, a joker, a jester. They call him exactly, you know, you probably know him better by the term the fool. A court jester is a, they call him a fool because that's his life's ministry. He's a jester. He's an actor. Which the, the, the pure form of the, the word actor is a hypocrite. That's, that's just true. Somebody that's saying they are something that they're not. It's an actor. And that's what the world is enthralled in. It, most people today are getting their politics from actors and, and so forth and so on. It's just not wise. It's, he, he Just as it says here, poureth out evil, a wicked man poureth out evil things. And so it's just folly and foolishness and that's all the person talks about. You know who you're dealing with. Well, he's not a bad guy. He just don't take life too serious. He's a fool. He is a bad guy. I'm not saying he has cruel intentions. I'm just saying he ain't worth shooting. You ever heard? Has any of you country folks ever heard that expression, he ain't worth shooting? Oh, it's so mean. No, it's because he ain't worth shooting. That's why they come up with that, that kind of a, uh, phrase to describe the fellow. He ain't worth shooting. You say, well, he's worth a lot. What's he worth? You know what the harsh reality of life is? I, I really don't like this any more than you do, but it's a harsh reality. That's why they call them harsh realities. <laughs> you know why they call things harsh realities? Because they're harsh realities. It's not, well, that's not good. I know it's good. That's why, I mean, I know it's not good. That's why they call it harsh Brother Mike, I wish you wouldn't talk about people like that. I know. I wish I didn't have to talk about people that way too, but it's a harsh reality. And the harsh reality, you know, you hear bleeding heart liberals talking about the importance of every man. Listen, every man's not important. 
what are you doing? Dramatic pause to let that sink in. So I, I wish everybody was important. Well, get up on your soapbox and preach to them and instruct them and try to gain a measure of repentance out of their life so that they can improve their lives and that they'll be worth something, be a life worth lived. If you're, listen, if you're sitting inside four walls, soaking up air conditioning BTUs, and you're not producing anything, and you're not doing anything, and you're not contributing anything, you are worthless. You know what that means, uh, especially this morning? You're not inside four walls. I've said this a million times. Somebody quoted it yesterday. I was like, somebody's listening to the preaching. <laughs> Today's a work day. This is, this is work. This, the day of rest was yesterday. The Sabbath is Saturday. Today's the first day of the week. It's the day that Jesus met with his disciples after the resurrection. It's the, it's the day that Paul met with the people. Acts chapter 20 is an example of that to preach. And so it's a work day. It's a Christian work day. And today you started the week out productively. Amen. There's many people sitting around their living rooms. Maybe they'll wake up at 11 o'clock and be out at the river by the time we're there to baptize this evening. But right now, as far as life is concerned, they're not producing anything. They're not doing anything. They're getting rest for themselves. That was yesterday. You don't need rest today. Amen. Oh, I sure am tired all the time. That means you're productive unless you're wore out from doing nothing. Amen. Some people work hard at doing nothing. Some people work harder at doing nothing than they would at doing something. That's absolute truth. I've seen guys go to great measure if they'd have put that same if they'd have put the same strength and ingenuity into getting something produced as they did to keep from having to produce anything. They'd be, they'd make a hundred thousand dollars a year, jumping through hoops trying to get out of doing work. Hey, jump through the hoops to get the work done. It's just eight hours a day. Work forty hours on a false document to make it look just right, so they can get out of work for three days. You know, I got to make this doctor's note look <laughs> genuine. Put the same labor into something. <laughs> Maybe you're not a bricklayer, but go be somebody's clerk if you're that good at doing something like that. <laughs> if you can produce false documents, then produce good ones. I, I don't know if that makes sense to people or not, but <laughs> I wish it did. Let's move on. I think I can finish this up. The heart of the righteous studieth to answer, but the mouth of the wicked poureth out evil things. The Lord is far from the wicked. That's how, see, that's the importance that God sees. Everybody's important. God doesn't think so. He doesn't get near folks that are wicked. But he heareth the prayer of the righteous. There's a good example of that in the book of Acts, a man named Cornelius. He gave alms. He did what he was doing as a, as a man that was far from God a man that was separated from God's people, a man that wasn't saved, a man that was lost. He was doing the things that God had required in the law of his own people. God saw his works of righteousness. Those were not good enough to save him, by the way. When God saw that this man was doing the right things, he didn't say, oh, he's doing right, so he's righteous. No, he sent a preacher to preach to him the gospel. And so in that sense, you see in this verse, he's far from the wicked, but it's near to those that are doing righteous. If you're lost and you're doing the right things, God is, God is going to reveal to you what you need to know. That's why I don't get too anxious about whether or not you are getting the right information, whether you're getting the right sermon. I trust that if, you're, that if your heart is right and that if your motives are right, or at least maybe not they're not completely right because if you're lost you know your heart's not right but if your if your mind is bent in the right direction then God will speak with you and direct you and and if it's not then the Lord will stay far from you uh, hopefully he'll send you correction 
reprove, but if you're not, if you won't hear it, you won't hear it. Now, this has uh, been a great discussion in my own mind about what how God will deal with men. And the, people say, "Well, you can't understand God. You're totally depraved." You're telling me you can understand your father, but you can't understand God. You get instruction. I mean, they say you're totally depraved. Well, you understood the instruction of your father. You understood when your father said, "Don't steal." You stopped stealing. When your mother said uh, th- that you were not to, you know, hit girls, and she gave you a whooping for it, you stopped hitting girls. How is it that you could understand the instruction of a father but not understand the instruction of God? If you understand the instruction of your father and you allow yourself to be dis- disciplined and you hear the reproofs of life, that is the correct thing to do even if you're lost. And following those things, God will also draw near to you and begin to give you the instruction of eternal life. And if you can hear the instruction of life, you can hear the instruction of eternal life. And if a man can't hear the instruction, there has to be correction there in order to bring about repentance. It has to be done for every man. But I hope you see the relationship between those things. And you can talk about total depravity, but you can't deny the mind of man has a, compre- has a, a measure of comprehension. And I believe the Bible speaks in that with a measure of faith. And I believe those things tie together very carefully. But now we're leaving the instruction on how to be a a person, we're talking about how to be a Christian, so, uh, which is not a bad thing, but it is taking up more time. And so I believe that we have uh, sufficiently covered this chapter. The light of the eyes rejoiceth the heart, and a good report maketh the bones fat. I suppose that we could go into that verse a little bit more, but I believe we'll leave it at that, and we'll pick up in chapter number 16, the Lord willing, next week. All right. Thank you for listening this morning. Thank you for being here in Sunday school. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I do thank you for the opportunity. I do believe, God, that uh, this is an eye-opening passage. I believe it's very instructive, and I believe that you have dispensed some destruction, uh, uh, some instruction this morning, hopefully not destruction, uh, but Lord, perhaps if we do understand the truth better and we don't uh, apply it to our lives, and if we don't if we don't, uh, Lord, make it a part of our own mindset, then perhaps it would lead to destruction. Lord, you said uh, that we're required, Lord, in the areas of things. We're responsible in the area of things that we do understand. The things that are given to us belong to us. To whom much is given, much is required. And I pray, O oh God, that you'd forgive us of our sins. We are poor and desperate, fleshly men and women. But, Lord, we pray that you'd give us through the power of your spirit, the ability to not only hear and understand, but Lord, that you'd help us to apply these things, to become better people than we are, to become better men and women than we are. And we'll thank you, O oh God, for your goodness and for your grace. And I pray, O oh God, that uh, we would not be as children who count instruction a boring thing or count uh, the words of God a boring thing, but help us to be as men, help us to be as uh, mature women, God, who love your word and love the instruction of life, and help us, O God, to get the benefit out of these things that we do have. And I thank you, O God, for your great goodness. In Jesus Christ's name I ask it. Amen.